Hey, and welcome to all the lovers out there. This is the How to Love a Human podcast, moderated by Dr. Candice Nicole Hargons. Follow and come chat it up some more with us on Facebook and Instagram at Dr. Candice Nicole and on our website, drcandicenicole.com. You will find those links in our description box. Today, the How to Love a Human podcast welcomes Dr. Nikki to the space. So sit back and join us along this journey on how to love a human. Hey, everyone. So today on How to Love a Human, I am with Dr. Nikki. Hey, Dr. Nikki, how you doing? Hi, how are you? How do you prefer? I refer to you. We didn't ask that. Do you, you know, I can be Dr. Candace. Nicole. Okay, Dr. Candace. Yeah, we gonna, <laughs> I really don't care. <laughs> Since you asked, that's where we're going to go. But yeah, so I'm going to start with my non-researchy question first. Okay. Are you feeling human or human as fuck? Human oh. AF. Oh my goodness. I feel like I'm always human as fuck. Like it's okay, obvious. what does it mean to you? Break down what yeah, the human yeah. AF means. Yeah, so um for me, I have always been a person um that's really been guided by uh intuition and mm. emotion. Um uh, like just that's just who I am, right? And so like uh spiritually, like I'm a cancer for my um West African spiritual system, sort of mm. uh, the goddess Yemaya holds my yes. hands. So I'm just like watery, watery, <laughs> watery. Um, and so f- what that means is like there's oftentimes what I what I feel like like a, a slightly thinner veil between me and sort of what's happening. And um, there's always conversation between like what's going on with me, how do I feel, what's this about, what's the yeah. what's the other message, um, and that gives I think. I feel a, like a higher degree of sensitivity around things. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Like self-reflection things, and sensitivity. Cause it sounds both. like you're, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like things really be bothering me. <laughs> um, so like when I, when I think about uh, all of the uh, chaos and uh, upheaval that we're currently living in socially, like that does really like it's with me. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'm thinking about what, how does this really influence not only my day-to-day moves, but um, what kind of lessons do I think it's really important for me to impart to my daughter? Yeah. What sort of things do I really want to make sure I, I'm like locking in for myself? And what are sort of the things we need to be, I need to be planning for us for, because things feel just really tenuous. Mm-hmm. So I, yeah, I, I, I'm doing my hands in like this. <laughs> Because you can feel it. It's almost tangible to you. Exactly. Like you, it's the weight of it is like in the air for you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so that's why I feel like I'm human as fuck. I feel like I'm and then and then for me, the other part is like, so then I translate that into okay, how does this inform goals and Mm -hmm. and next steps, right? That there's the blend for me of the intuition and the execution. Yeah. Um so yeah, that's my, that's always my answer. <laughs> and that makes sense to me because if intuition is a source of knowledge that you respect and appreciate, you are going to feel because yes. intuition is grounded in your ability to sense things, to smell them before mm-hmm. no, anybody says it to notice. Mm-hmm. Like it's mm-hmm. an acute sense of knowing. And I think we belittle it so much. Very much. I, I think I was really lucky. Um, or it was, it was 
meant to be that early on in my graduate training, um, despite being in like, you know, University of Missouri, like at the time where like it was very research focused and, yeah. and you know, high performance and all of that. But I got lots of really good training in being a therapist and that training and being a therapist was really in support of that strength of mine. Right. And so this ability to sort of like, we talked about clinical judgment is a thing. Like your yep. gut is a thing. You see what um, is not said. You hear exactly. what's not said. Yeah. So I like, I, I think me being able to hear those messages and be affirmed in that really early on in my training helped give me some more confidence and stability and like, I don't know how I know all of this stuff, but here's what I know. Mm -hmm. And when I do that, when I really lean into it, I'm never wrong. So and it'd be right. It'd be, <laughs> it be real right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're already kind of transitioning us into the next question. It's about your salient identities. Like what mm -hmm. identities are most salient to you? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that's a hard... I mean, it's a great question because they're all coming to the forefront. And I'm like, I really mm -hmm. feel like they're all sort of- They might name as many as come up. Yeah. So um, being a Black woman, mm -hmm. um, and like for me, that's very much an intersectional experience. There's not a not a sense of womanness outside of Blackness for mm -hmm. me. And there's not a sense of Blackness outside of womanness for me. Uh, but also like being a psychologist and specifically a counseling psychologist yes. is really like rooted in- I I I rem so I rem I'll tell you this quick story. So I remember um I went to Xavier University and first I started off pre med like everybody else because that's what Xavier's known for. Yes, and Xavier's <laughs> known for like producing doctors, right? And so I went pre med because I didn't have knowledge that you could get a PhD, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so I was like, well, okay, I want to practice psychology. And so I remember taking like my first psychopathology class, and I was like, mm, this ain't everybody, like. I know plenty of people that need to talk to somebody and they don't have none of this stuff. Right. And so I went to one of my uh, professors who was a social psychologist and I was like, okay, what about people who like are not um, clinically disordered, but also like need more than just like friends and family. Mm -hmm. She was like, oh, you're talking about counseling psychology. And I was like, what is this? And, and I like ever since then, I was like, oh, this is exactly how I see mm -hmm. the world. This is exactly how I understand. Um, how how we can best be in society and in relationship to each other and how we can learn most about ourselves as people. So being a counseling psychologist is really fundamental to me. Yeah. Um, and being a mother is really mm -hmm. huge for me. Um, one that so I huge? have more probably tension around than the other one mm -hmm. um, because of some of my ideals around uh, Black feminism, right? And like Ooh, not wanting... Yeah. And, and sort of that tension between how I see myself, what I know I have to offer, but how the world uh, devalues and diminishes um, and sometimes really dehumanizes mothering. Mm. But she's she's right up there. Um, and, and I think particularly because I am a, a full-time single parent of an only girl child. Mm -hmm. And I, I have learned and am learning so many life lessons about me through Aren't her. Aren't they the best teachers like listen, listen. <laughs> you be in here looking at yourself like oh that's me oh mm -hmm. oh okay um I like I, there's this very um crystallized memory I have one time of um I've always been an I am an impatient person mm -hmm. uh person and so that's an area of growth for me always has been and I'm I'm chill 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 and then phew, like I'm 
like once the anger kicks in, it's like a hot flame. Um, and so my daughter was an infant and she was in her little bouncy seat and I was trying to find some clothes to put on in the postpartum body. And I was like, none of these pants are working and I want to get out and go da da da. And I, I took myself to another part of the, the room, but I went away and I was like, oh, like, I was just like so angry. I just needed to like gutturally get it out. And immediately she starts wailing. She in, like, feels the next you. Room. She, and I was like, oh, all right. So I, this, this thing that I know um, is an area of growth for me, I got to really, really get it together because I'm not trying to pass this on to her. And I, if I'm going to, if I value self-regulation yeah. um, and I'm going to teach that to her, I got to do it for myself. So she's, she's been one of the biggest. Um, it sounds like you were regulating though. You stepped out, you had to get your <laughs> scream on, you know, but <laughs> if you are an intuitive person and you're raising an intuitive child, they're like somebody in here screaming. I can't hear somebody. it, but the frequency <laughs> is off. <laughs> I feel the vibration yes. and we don't like it. We that's don't the, like that's this. Exactly what that was. Yes. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, so for sure. Um, and I think the other piece that I would add, um, maybe even like a sub part of this womanness for me is around how I identify my sort of femininity. And that's- um, What is femininity to you? I've been really sitting with like, what is it? I, first of all, I think it is highly subjective. Right. Um, and I think a lot of our subjectivity is informed by a lot of toxicity. So I just want to own that going into it, right? Like a lot of external just trash. Um, but for me, it is about being able to, so I think some of the pieces that I talked about myself before in terms of being an intuitive person and being um, highly sensitive and then trusting in that oh, um, intuition, yes. yes, I feel like that is a feminine source, right? So I, I think about too. it in really sort of elemental ways, right? So the ability to be creative, to to nurture, to give life, to create. Um, and I think that sort of... Uh, fluidity and like uh, lack of rigidity let me say mm. it that way right um is what is feminine to me and and part of that f related to me is like how I live in this body and how do I have ownership over this body um how do I feel like in love with this mm. body regardless of what shape or form it takes um and recognizing like the importance of sensuality and sexuality yeah. and my ability to have physically intimate um, connection with, with folks that like sort of surpasses intellect and um, all of that sort of stuff. And so that's, that's sort of always been there with me. Mm. Um, Is sensuality or sexuality and body, are those salient identities for you as well? You didn't yes. mention them up front, but I see they're yeah, coming so in. I think, okay. Yeah. So I think like for me, there's some sort of subdomain under, under woman, black okay. woman and okay. femininity where all of these pieces rot, uh, exist for me. And, and they have always been right there. I've been like a, like a embodied sort of sexual person from an early age mm -hmm. um, with, and, and interestingly not a lot of shame around that yes but aware that other people were trying to shame me that other that. people tried it but <laughs> you really said listen it. this is a good thing mm -mm, <laughs> I like it <laughs> what's wrong with this um Jeez, and infinitely curious about like infinitely <laughs> curious about it so that those and what's fascinating to me like as I get older so 
had just turned 48 recently mm-hmm. and it's, it's age salient yeah it, it is now okay this year this year mm-hmm. is, is hit different okay um and i think it's because okay so this year at 48 um i have mo- more gray hair than i've ever had um i am perimenopausal i am at the heaviest size that i've ever been um and then that sort of uh wear and tear on the body that is mm. more pronounced as you get older the allostatic like, load like is showing oh up oh my god so my <laughs> knees started messing with me right because we wanted to be oh, Megan, oh. and it's like the knees are they're not knees. come on I'm, I was, <laughs> I'm like i am making the mule over here i'm not making this thing I'm, I'm, <laughs> uh, so that is like this year I don't know, 48 just hit mm. different for me. And so I really am in this place of like trying to uh, radically love this body that I'm in for all that it has given me mm-hmm. and and be aware that it's telling me that I'm not attuning to it in the oh. way that I should. Okay, I think that that's what a lot of this is about. I actually think like a lot of my weight, because I was thinking about this really just last night. I had my daughter when I was 37. Mm-hmm. Within the first six months, I was back to my pre-pregnancy weight. Mm-hmm. But I was a full-time single parent um, in academia yeah. um, in a time where acad- my academic department and institution was becoming increasingly rigorous around productivity expectations. Mm. And I had no infrastructure um, in my personal life to like support me and yep they're putting the pressure on you systemically and they don't see for black women for single black women who are mothering the infrastructure needs to be there for you to show up at that level um and and to add like a single black mother who was breastfeeding for the first two years yes um and so my weight gain started happening when she was around four yeah. I, and and my intuitive understanding of my body is like this is chronic stress this this is systemic um oppression in my body and so I need to really uh I need to heal that I need to honor that I have to figure out how to do this body differently um so that I can feel good in it mm. um and and then I also think like longevity like like my daughter I I'm a older parent um they, they called us geriatric i had a geriatric pregnancy that is so disrespectful it is so disrespectful i was like who are you talking to wanted to cuss that lady out when she said that to right now I'm talking to <laughs> geriatric um and so you know she has big plans for our life together mm-hmm. and i want to i want to be in my life for as long as i am living life yeah. and so this this whole body aging and then what does it mean to be a sexual woman in a body that looks like this like everything about my body girl I'm trying to figure it out I know (laughs) like uh, yeah and I'm I'm single right so I'm trying it so all of those things are like really really present for me um I don't know how much my um internalized negativity about my body is actually reflected in the experiences that I have okay I think it's more about my um 
my own stuff. And I think that's also part of why 48 hit different because it caught me off guard. I was like, wait, oh, I'm not as good with myself as I, I thought I was. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, where's all this stuff been sitting? Yeah. And so that's where I am at trying to reconcile that. Um, And then honestly, we don't talk nearly enough about perimenopause and particularly perimenopause for black women um even so much like even me saying this it's like oh i'm putting myself out listen there because the reproductive health crisis that we're in has been long-standing for black women so around menopause and reproduction and choosing not to reproduce and all of these things right it, yeah. it's different for black women the history it does and it's like everybody has an opinion about all those things but your opinion and perspective about it yourself is discounted, right? Like all the other voices get to be louder. Um, and so like hormonally, I, I'm experiencing my understanding of sexuality differently. Mm. Is um, it up and stuck or is it like, no, nah, it's down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so for me as a person that's had access yep. to sexual energy, yes. I've really been like, sis, yes. what's going on? Like, yes. <laughs> And you I really was I was I had a panic like because because it ebbs and slows but the the ebbs have been longer right and so the first time that I had like a period of time I was like wait but what did I lose it is it gone will I ever get it back um and so really trying to I'm in this process of discovering and I don't even have any answers but I what I know is I plan on being a sexual being my entire life mm -hmm. so we're gonna have to figure out what's being a sexual being at this age and and with this sort of physicality looks like and mm. that's where I'm at I ain't giving it up but I'm right. trying to figure out how it's going to move different yeah and how you want it to move versus how it's going to move sometimes it's so oh, different oh my goodness so reconciling different. those two yes 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 you know and I want to go back for a second because mm -hmm. I think this is important another identity that I have is uh around I would say less about age but around generational status like oh, the okay. older I get in my generational status the more I realize um and we were sort of talking about this pre-show about um the more I realize how forward thinking I've always been but not having any expectations that the external world would ever mm. reflect my internal beliefs mm -hmm. and values and um, goals. And so it's this really weird experience of like being a, a Gen Xer, full on yeah. Gen Xer, and then seeing millennials and Gen Z folks do things that I have like you vehemently felt within my mm -hmm. body, but was always looked at like I was crazy for asking for the things. Like when people started talking about um, loan forgiveness, which, uh, you know, loan, but what's the, I saw somebody say there should be a better term for it. Um, loan reparations. Cause loan that's reparations. what I need. <laughs> yes. Loan reparations. Right. Cause I just feel like as a black like, woman, I just need it all forgiven. Go should, ahead and clear it, that. For it. Listen, I remember one time when I was a young academic, they were talking to somebody was getting something and like, well, you know, such and such has, they were talking about somebody such and such has blah 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 to support and I said uh, I got a 34 year old black woman I got to support so where is my stipend like what? they were like who is that? I said me like, me without I'm generational gonna... wealth I'm gonna need the stipend hello so when when folks started really asking about loan reparations and like it was a conversation and I was like man y'all are really doing it like y'all are like collectively demanding. And even when I think about the ability to just talk about mental health mm -hmm. with uh, 
as little stigma as there is yes. among millennials and Gen Z folks, it is really awesome. It's like remarkable. It is remarkable. Um, and so, yeah, that generational status, I think the older I get, or maybe the larger the gap is between where I am and how I grew up and how things were expected to be the normative of that and how I see things happening here. I I think I feel that more. Do you feel like you want to engage it from this generational standpoint and remind people in your generation, like we can do this too. We can enjoy this. We can, you know, bear, these were the, these were the things we worked for. So Mm -hmm. we get to enjoy them as well. Or do you feel like tied to that generational cohort of, well, you shouldn't expect these things. Cause I heard you say expectations. And mm-hmm. I think it's a, I think um, I sort of straddle. I think on the one okay. hand, I look at my generation uh, people and I think about people I'm close to. Right. Yeah. And I, um, and I still have the sense of like, but, but why can't we like, mm-hmm. like why are you so for so foreclosed that this is an impossibility or this is outside yeah. of reach. And then sometimes with the younger folks, I'm like, okay, did y'all repackage it a little bit better? Like, do y'all have to be in everybody's face all the time? <laughs> so I, I really do straddle that because mm-hmm. I think this sort of, uh, I do think the concept around tempering, yeah, uh, how you present something, how you talk about something, about uh, capacity for patience, poise. Um, like, I, I, I think that that, I, I see that being missed a lot uh, with younger folks. And and there's a part of me that can be empathetic and sort of say, well, maybe it's because they feel a different urgency mm. in their experience and body than I do. And could you stop yelling? Like, mm. it's, it's a little bit of a both and for me. Um, and, and then just sort of like personally, I think what it does for me is um, affirms just my way of viewing the world yeah. like oh yeah you're you kind of are a person that tends to be on the vanguard mm-hmm. and that's okay um like like that's eventually yeah eventually the rest sort of catches up with you and and that's where we want to be mm. what does love mean to you and see this was the one question i was afraid when i have time i asked this people be like oh, i don't know <laughs> So when I so two things when I was thinking about this conversation, my gut reaction, like the first thing that came was like, for me, uh, love is about being seen, mm. like just being seen, not being um, influenced, not being adapted, not being asked to change, not being asked to just be justified or explained, but just mm. the ability to see the other person in their fullness, yeah. um, and then the past couple of days I've been thinking and that's complicated okay. so like l- like um I think part of the the complication is we do have to live in relationship with other people mm-hmm. right and as as much as we as as unconditional as we can be in our love it always comes with conditions because we're always viewing other people through the lens of ourselves. We we cannot ever fully see them as they see themselves. Um, But I I think to the degree that you can strive to one, be clear about who you are, what you stand for, Mm -hmm. what you value, 
um, as like your own, your internal boundary. Like I'm here and you're there. And then to be able to make um, an empathic, loving, compassionate decision about how much of that other person's fullness can be in relationship Mm. to you. Um, I think that's the best we can do. And Um, when you see them, you acknowledge them, you don't have to absorb them. Yes. Yes. And and I'll I'll go back again and say, I thank my daughter for this. I think I'm learning so much about love through her because, um, okay, so this ties all the pieces together, right? So generationally, um, my mother is a traditionalist, right? She's 77. Mm -hmm. She was born in 1945 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I was born in 1974 in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. My birth certificate has me listed as a Negro child. And my mother didn't even sign her name. My mother's name, my mother's name is Mrs. MacArthur Coleman. Wow. That that speaks so much to sort of wow. The root of where mm-hmm. I come from, right? Mm-hmm. And so so I know for a fact this person, my mother was not prepared to raise, right? right like she was right. like, what? Why are you asking so many questions? Like all then the you guys, have the nerve to be future oriented. <laughs> all the time. And so part of her mothering came with a lot of fear and anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. Her way of showing. What was she scared of? I think part of it, it was her, her being scared. Uh, I think part of the fear was her insecurity about, okay. do I have the capacity to mother this child? Because oh, okay. mothering meant a power difference, right? Yeah. It meant authority over. And so I think that was a, a part of it. And I think she, I think she also was because of the time in which she grew up in worried about harm that might come to me for being the, the boundary pushing outspoken forward thinking person that I was. I think it was, it was really a both. And so fast forward to me having this child who is an iteration of me. And Mm -hmm. I always say my daughter is me being raised by me, which means Mm -hmm. she's like me on steroids. Right. (laughs) So trying to find this balance of, of, me seeing her in her fullness and uh, asking her to develop skills and ways of thinking that reflect the fact that we are a family, we are in relationship to each other and that she has responsibility for how Mm -hmm. she shows up. Um, The responsibility piece is powerful in that. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes. And I actually try to talk to her more about accountability. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Um, what was I the think accountability? Because <laughs> it's, I think it's, it's hard. Um, my child is wise beyond her years, but still developmentally mm-hmm. on track. Yep. And that causes her a lot of struggle, just like internally for herself. Right. And sometimes this, this issue is around boundaries of like, but why can't I, you know, mm-hmm. and, so I'm the only child, single parent. It's oh, you were the only as life. well. I am an only child. Okay. Yes. So it's a it's a lot going on over here. So so I think sometimes she really doesn't have a working understanding that she's a child, mm-hmm. right? She's like mm-hmm. a human being relating to another human being. Yeah. And mommy, blah, 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 right? And so um, sometimes when she's out of pocket, I have to talk to her about, here's what you are responsible for at this age and when you step out of that I have to hold you accountable Mm -hmm. for that right Mm -hmm. and I give you a lot of 
I hate to even use the word leeway. I, I parent from the approach that it's my responsibility to her and I'm accountable for holding her um, in a frame that keeps her safe. Yeah. But that facilitates her being as expressive and expansive as possible. Yeah. My goal is for her to have as little unlearning. A permeable boundary. Yes. Uh-huh. And my mother does not understand that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so there's conflict sometimes consistently. Not it's not active all the right. time, but it's 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 uh, it's noticeable though. It's noticeable, right? Where my mom is like, what's going on? Right. <laughs> and my daughter is like, what's wrong with you, Nana? Like, why are you tripping? And here I am in the middle of like, no, I really feel like this is the right way to go. And I understand where you're coming from. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um so we do, we talk about accountability a lot. And, and the, I want to go back for a second because I lost my train of thought. For me, the importance of accountability means that I have to be aware of what's required of me in any particular situation. Yeah, yeah. So I talked to her about the fact that um, how you engage with me and my expectations may not be the same for Nana. And what we're mm-hmm. going to do is recognize Nana's status. Yeah. We're going to recognize um, the fact that she's your elder mm-hmm. and that even if, you have a difference of opinion. It's not always more important than Nana. Yeah. Right? Nana's not going to do anything to put you in harm's way. She's not going to do anything to undermine you. And so you don't always get to or have to have the last word. Mm-hmm. Right. So, that distinction. Let me know if this resonates with you between deference and reverence. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Because a generation before you is it's deference. deference. That is what Period. you do. And so it sounds like you're trying to shift that frame. It's like you still, there's a respect here that is afforded to somebody who has lived this long and who has mothered us, Mm -hmm. you know, you you are here because she is here. Mm -hmm. Um, So like a great example. And I I love this. I think this says so much about um, what we're talking about. So right after the pandemic, like right when things started up vaccination stage, right. So we were finally able to go back home. I'm originally from Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so I always refer back to that as home. So we went back home, and my mom, one of her things that she likes to do as Nana is to, like, shop, right? I'm going to go get baby some clothes, right? And so they went to get some clothes, but at the time, you, for whatever reason, um, you couldn't try on clothes in the store. Okay. Uh, which I was <laughs> like, uh, we need to be more worried about that with monkeypox right. or COVID, but whatever. And so they came back home with a bunch of things, um, and... uh she had some some jeggings and she was trying to mm-hmm. pull them up, right? And so um, she was like trying to jump in. And so I say, if you ain't got to jump to put jeans on, baby, you don't feel my pain, right? Yes. I'm like, you better get it, boo. Look at your little booty, right? Because my baby was, uh, uh, she was low birth weight, premature. She yeah. under the growth curve for forever. And I'm like, look at my baby filling out. Yes. Then, <laughs> like, I'm like, yes. Look at, yes. <laughs> um, and then my mom goes, oh. I don't know. These look too tight. I don't know. Well, when you gain all this weight, like she starts mm. the body mm-hmm. criticizing. And before I could even get in there, my baby looked at, at my mama and said without bad. And she was like, I don't know why my body is under question of conversation at all. Well, that's it, folks. <laughs> like, <laughs> And it depended on the generation and the was she slapped or was she She was hurt? not I think it was so <laughs> I think it was I think my mother may be still in shock like right. she was she my mother literally like stop and I, I I looked at my daughter and I said 
I agree with your point. Let's talk about delivery, yeah. right? Like watch your mouth, watch <laughs> your tone, right? So that's how I'm trying to constantly yeah. navigate this. Yeah. What are we doing? Um, I'm happy you're having this part of the conversation because I'm raising a three-year-old and I'm just trying to figure out like, we're a free black child. Yeah. Where are the boundaries? How permeable do I want them to be and when? Yes. <laughs> or whom? And it, it's hard. And so, you know, unsolicited mama, mama in advice. What I go with is, and literally this is my rubric for most things. If I, if I can't come up with a good reason as to why, mm-hmm. like, why is this a problem? why do I have different expectations if I can if it comes to well because or other Mm -hmm. people Mm -hmm. or then I know oh that's that that's that that's that oppression shit like that's some socialization shit and so now I have to ask myself do I really want to affirm that Um, and then how do you talk and teach them around I am teaching you differently than what most people are socialized to do so this is how you're going to need to talk about it when people are wondering why you came out like this (laughs) Like, who okay, so whose child is this? What? Um, look, yeah, so my daughter's at this performing arts school this year, and they um, she came home yesterday and she was like, Did you know that the first plays were put on by the Greeks? And I was like, "Mm, Actually, most of what the Greeks learn, they learn from black folks. I said, Um, actually, griots were the first uh, storytellers and performers, and she was like, Well, I'm gonna go to school tomorrow and tell Mr. Murphy, like, immediately. Yes. I was like, Okay, let's have a conversation about what we're gonna say to Mr. Murphy and when we're gonna <laughs> push back. Oh, like, we're not just gonna be like, like Mama you're wrong. said, You're wrong. <laughs> so, it, I think it requires, um, it requires more intentionality with parenting, um, than maybe, maybe not doing it that way, yeah, but. Um, I don't know. I'm, I really, I think about the ways that I developed insecurities or felt like I needed to be small Mm. in certain ways in certain spaces because of how I was parented. Yeah. And I absolutely don't want her to ever have that experience. And one of the things that I tell her all the time is no one has the right to make you feel small or bad about yourself, including me. Yes. If I ever do anything that makes you feel that way, you have the right to discuss it with me. Mm -hmm. You have the right to advocate for yourself with me respectfully, with compassion, but you have the right to do it because you are allowed to be the full version of yourself. And that's, that's perfectly good enough. And so seeing her, would you say is one of your most formidable lessons in love, like being able to love her and figure that out over the past what decade? Yeah, one hundred percent. In the sense that, um, really, I really do think I came into. Hmm, I think raising my daughter forced me, in the best possible use of that term, but forced me to get much more clear about who I am mm, mm-hmm. and what I'm about than if I hadn't had her. And I, I know there are lots of. Um, women that make choices to not have children and they live very full and fulfilling and joyful lives. I just think for me and my trajectory, I wouldn't have come into this. Mm. She challenges me in such a loving and beautiful way so that I got to get real clear about who Dr. Nikki is. I feel that. So I don't spill my 
shit out on her or other I'm people, still in right? the resist I'm trying to release the resistance to that right now mm. where I'm like I want to be the person I was before and so it's like no Mm-mm. mommy I'm inviting you into a new lesson and I'm like dang you are you're inviting me to play yeah. oh I didn't play as a child I get a chance to play with you you know <laughs> like, yeah. I good games. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like Oh, you're inviting me to imagine. Okay, I loved imagining. That was one of my yes. most favorite things. Mm-hmm. All right. But yeah. I find the resistance so core. Like, I have stuff to do. I have stuff to do. Yes. Mm. And and so that pulls on me a lot. Like, the full-time single parent stuff. This is why I think academia was, like, why it was so deleterious to my physical health. Because there's only so much me to go around. Yeah. And, and in, in part... A huge part of my decision to leave academia was because of her, because I decided my values were in alignment with me being present to care for her. And this career wasn't doing that. Mm. And so when I told her I was leaving academia, her first response, she was seven. I think she was seven, maybe six and a half. And she said, mommy, I'm so happy for you. And I said, why are you happy, babe? And she said, and, and this will tell you how young she was. She says, because you won't be stretched out so much. And if you're not stretched out, then mommy, I won't be stretched out. And, stretched I, was like, out. <laughs> and I was like, actually, oh. we should start calling stress stretched. Because we, <laughs> we too stretched. I might just need to use that as well. I'm stretched out. I'm stretched out. That's real. It's so real. And it's the wisdom. (laughs) Wisdom. And like she immediately got it. And I was like, oh, all of that fear I had about what this meant for me and what were people going to say? Because I had a lot of ego attached to being an academic. There's a lot of ego attached to being professor. Mm -hmm. Uh, um, And that like that crystallized so much for Mm -hmm. me um, when that happened. So for me. I've learned to love myself more yeah. through having to be her mother because the other thing that part of the the internal um, conversation up to my decision, because I agonized over my decision to leave academia for a lot of the reasons yeah. um, that we just discussed around ego and identity and all of that stuff, sort of stuff. But one of the questions I kept that kept coming up for me relentlessly was, do you want to be the kind of woman who models risking like betting on herself Mm. no matter the outcome or staying where she knows it's safe because Mm. it looks good and every time I asked myself the question I was like this is a no-brainer I refuse to to model for my daughter that she has to live a compressed life for a false sense of security or safety or other because it's false it's so false (laughs) it's so false (laughs) But that academic Kool-Aid though, Candace. Listen. Baby, people have drank. It's it. red. You know what I'm saying? It's so syrupy sweet. Listen. Somebody told me they were like, but if you don't work in, like if you went and got a regular people job, when would you go to like doctor's appointments or like how would you? Like, do you know, I was raised thing. by people was, in regular people jobs. <laughs> we like, figured it out. <laughs> we will figure it out. Like over 90% of the world are people doing regular people jobs and they go to the doctor and they get their nails done and they live like, I feel like I can work it out. But there was, there's a lot of um, mythical, what's the word? What's the adjective of it? Um, Myth around Mm -hmm. uh, the the world of academia. So 
so yeah, I like I don't I think that if I did not have my daughter, I would still be there and probably oh. still miserable. But I couldn't reconcile how I was showing up in my life every day and what I wanted her to look at and see. And I the answer was like I want her to know that choosing yourself and believing in yourself is always the way to go. Like like you're it and that that's good enough for you. What would the world be like if it loved you? If it loved mm. Black women mm. who are graying and perimenopausal, who oh, are man. growing in body size and calibrating what it means to be sensual and sexual, yeah. who are mothering and single? Like, what would it be like if the world loved you? Yeah, I think the the, the shortest answer is like it, the world would make sense. Mm. Um, I think that like I you know I work. Um, pretty much exclusively with Black women clients. And I tell them all the time, and I deeply believe this all the time, like we are the purest expression of humanity. Oh. Like we, we have an innate ability to um, love. We have an innate ability to hold people accountable. We have an innate ability to sort of get shit done. We have an innate ability to find joy and and value um, and celebrate beauty mm. and art. Like, I just feel like Black women are it. Mm. Even when we are living in our most traumatized versions yes. of ourselves, we yeah. are just it. It. So we just it. Like, and I can't be convinced otherwise. <laughs> I just can't. So a world that loved me would, would center that. And it would make space for one of the things that frustrates me the most as being a human in this current iteration of society is the uh, static nature of everything. Like, mm. like everything needs to happen at this exact time. And if it doesn't happen, if the transaction doesn't happen, somehow it's invaluable, or it's invalid, or we're always moving, going, going. I think a world that is more, that would love me is more dynamic. It's more mm. fluid. It allows me to show up as valuable, even on my worst days. Yes. And it doesn't discount what I have to offer um, because I have had bad days, right? Mm. Like there's not a zero sum sort of transactional totality of who I am um, that I really would have an embodied sense that I am more than just my body mm. and my body can be celebrated. Yes. Like, I think that's the sweet spot. And what would that celebration look like? Oh, adornment and all the Ooh. finest things <laughs> like all the finest things um and and a genuine okay so I, this, is, this is a bit of a side but there's a, a black woman on tiktok and she was like if you don't like if you can't compliment me by saying okay shoes yes mm, mm, or, like or, or she's like if you if your compliment doesn't actually insult me like I, you better go home with that outfit on yeah. like she was like then you're not actually giving me a compliment right so like that and i feel like black women do that we right do. If we're like okay shoes all right polka dot okay hair mm, I, i'm scared of you yes like that regardless of the shape or form right um that that's what celebrating that body looks like and a recognition that Imagine oh, if the world was doing that when you just right. walked into a meet. I think you can still hear me, but I lost you for a oh, second. Oh, okay. I'll come back. Yeah, you um, hear me. Imagine if the world yes. was doing that. You just walked into a meeting, walked into a deal, and they were like, okay, hair. Okay, Gray, I see you. 
wisdom like okay wisdom and this was everybody it wasn't just black women. it wasn't it was just, just black it would be everybody right people would just be in so much more joy because that's how I like to lead a meeting and yes. so I'm like just leading the meeting and people are like oh okay I got this yes. all right yes and some of my white colleagues are like oh I feel affirmed I didn't know yeah. I was supposed to feel like that in meetings. You are. You're Why not? To. Why not? Yes. I'd like to not have like have that be the baseline of expectation. Right. And not the anomaly. Um mm. yeah. I I would add this too. I think for me, a world that loved me would look like like I would have a just a coterie of lovers. Mm. I don't necessarily need like the I always like my ideal is like I've had love affairs like I for the ages like that I could be fully present yes. and in loving relationship and passionate sexual energy exchange and intimacy for the person that serves me at this time and I serve them and then if the if and when that ends we both can go our separate ways with no mm. harm mm-hmm. um with no uh with jealousy or malice like and then we just like move on. Like that's what the world that loves me would look like. Yes. <laughs> There's a gratitude like, oh, I got to spend this time with you. That was mm-hmm. fantastic. I will remember you as I exactly. move on to the next thing. Yeah. And that it's the the next thing isn't bad, right? Mm-hmm. Like um, it's not that I have chosen over you. I'm just choosing different or, or we've, we've done all that we can yeah. and what's meant to do with this and that's okay. Yes. That ending's our normal, healthy part of life. Yes. yes we yes, put yes, so yes. much into like sustaining something that may or may not need to end. It doesn't make sense. And I, I think that like th- that taps in some of my generational identity too, right? I think the big one, one of the biggest differences, like my mother, you know, uh, the generation where you just stick with something, no yeah. matter what. Mm-hmm. A like, job, a person, all it. All the things, right? Because that's how you've done it. And why what why else? Um, and and I think sometimes some some of my uh disconnection from Gen Z is like, throw all the rules away. <laughs> like we don't need any of this. It is what it is. Today is when I feel like, yeah, we need something a little bit more. We need a framework. <laughs> we need a framework. We need something. <laughs> some kind of guidepost. Um what are what are some of the identities that you struggle to love in others? Mm. rigidity mm-hmm. um yeah so relate to rigidity mm-hmm. so you know we've sort of had a little bit of conversation offline about this sort of uh zeitgeist of the alpha male the high value man and all of this sort of very very toxic and dysfunctional rhetoric that is being spewed it's know. very sad to me and it annoys me and it breaks my heart so try being a single black woman that a single cis heterosexual black woman mm. that wants to be in loving, intimate relationship with a black man. It's rough out here. It's like it it literally is hard on my spirit. Oh. Um, like my my romantic sense of self, my yes. that that part of my um sense of love uh, feels really calloused, and yeah. that makes yeah. me sad. That that is yeah. where I am. Um, but. One of the one of the things that comes up in those sort of conversations is like a rigidity around like thinking either their way is right and we're wrong. There's nothing in between. There's yeah. no room for discourse. 
Um, and then I get this argument a lot that like emotions or how I feel about something is an invalid form yes. of knowledge um, that I must be rational about things. And it's um, like, ain't no human being rational about things. I think people are making that up. <laughs> I think I know that you've made it up. And in fact, this vitriol is also an emotion because it's, it's, it's rooted in anger, which is rooted in fear. It's These emojis. are all emotions. <laughs> <laughs> they feelings, boo-boo. It's, it's all feelings. So rigidity of, of any kind is really, really difficult for me. Um, and um, disingenuousness, mm-hmm. like I am really a person that I can handle a lot of things. And I, I will clarify that when I say this, mm-hmm. after I say this, I can handle a lot of things as long as it's um, honest. Yeah. Right. So my handle doesn't mean I'm going to stick around for it. Doesn't mean I'm going to agree. Doesn't mean I'm going to sort of capitulate or change myself. But I can be in right relationship with yeah. you when I know the truth of who and what you are. Yes. And so when people are dishonest, um, and I will even say you can lie to yourself, but don't lie to me. Listen, because <laughs> people be lying to themselves. They be lying to themselves. That is really difficult for me. Yeah. Um, And then um, I think a third thing for me, and this is just born out of like personal um, trauma is like inconsistency. Mm, Like, mm -hmm. And I might even go back and say like that. I also add that to this, to my idea of love. It's like you show up. Oh, okay. You show up whether I'm mad at you or not, whether I like you, whether I like you right now in this moment or not. If I love you, I'm there. Yeah. I will do my part. And so inconsistency for me is almost like another sense of dishonesty. Like, are, Especially are you, when it comes with, because I don't like you right now, I'm out. I'll yes. come back when I like you again. Right. When you, when you do something mm. that feels good to me, mm-hmm. then I'm there. But if I don't feel good or, you know, then I'm, I'm out. I think those are like the three big ones for me. And like... My daughter will tell you dishonesty, which kids do. And it took me like, this is one of those things where I was like, oh, some developmental psychology yeah. would be really helpful yeah. right now. Like she's not Because we know it, but we don't know it. <laughs> <laughs> like she's not lying technically. In her mind, it's not a lie. Like there's yeah. no morality attached to it. In her lie, it's just, she don't want to get in trouble. So she's going to say I the made thing. made it story. Knows, like, yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. So, so yeah. And then to sit with that, like, and about what do I lie to myself? because when I think about dishonesty is one of those things for me too that just grinds my gears and I always try to return to myself like okay it's grating on me but to hold compassion for the ways I've been dishonest with myself would give me a little more room to approach their dishonesty Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. with some clarity or some understanding or something because I'm just like why would someone lie? Where does the lie come from? Why did you? You ain't got to lie to kick it. No, like, you ain't got to oh, lie, Craig. You ain't got to lie. Like, I you lied and told myself I was going to work out today and I didn't. So why did I do that? <laughs> you know why? And I know for me, oftentimes my dishonesty comes out of avoidance, right? Oh, like, child, yeah. Like that is the baby. That's my, <laughs> but look, that is my go to coping mechanism with all of my insight, self reflection, intuition. Because the insight don't mean behavior change. We know this. Like, no, it does not, honey. Um, we have it all it the knowledge not. and be like, but I'm going to still do this because pattern reigns supreme. Because <laughs> this right here, right now, feels way, way better than my idea of what mm. the opposite would be. Mm. So I'm going to do this. 
even though I know it's not gonna get me where I need to be. So yeah, um, self compassion has been self compassion is um, is not has been is one of my deepest lessons and biggest challenges. Like, um, and I think like so I'm gonna offer this soft life retreat. It's a virtual yeah. retreat. It's gonna be a day and a half. What and is I've been soft really, life? So you know that. I, first of all, like this is one of those things I love that I live in a time where there's a whole cadre of black women saying, nope, I'm not. Not only am I not the strong black woman, mm-hmm. but I'm soft at this pillow right here. Oh. Right. You like you you are not going to co-opt me for your needs to be this hard. Not going to be the mule. I'm not going to be your mule. I just you can't make me. And in fact, I'm going to go so far the opposite. I'm going to say I live a soft life. So soft life means living a life that is in full authenticity for mm-hmm. you and that validates and um, I would even say celebrates your core emotional needs mm-hmm. as a fundamental way of how you choose to interact with the world. Yeah. Um, and so what that's really what I want to do is sort of like, let's, let's put a framework around what this mm-hmm. looks like from a psychological perspective. And I was thinking, I was like, I think the three components are authenticity, um, self-compassion and boundaries. Oh, you have to know. So the authenticity is, is what do I really want for me? What feels good for me? Cause your soft life, Dr. Candace might not look like my soft life. Right. And give um, yourself room to answer that question. Yes. And that it might change over time and yes. that's also okay, right? So the authenticity is really important. And then the self-compassion for me connects to this piece I just said, like, oh, it's okay if I do something different mm-hmm. or it's also okay if I haven't operated out of my full capacity. It's okay if I, um, if I made a choice that felt safe but wasn't necessarily the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I can hold myself accountable for yeah. doing things differently without judging myself. Yes. Because accountability doesn't have to be nasty. Yes. And so I am living in a I'm living in an age of like really centering self-compassion for yeah. myself. Um, and then the boundaries is that the a recognition like there are all of these structural and systemic forces that are always impinging on black yeah. women to show yeah. up in a very specific way for everyone else's needs. Mm. Um, comfort too, but for sure, like like if if we stopped black womening as black women, mm. as a collective, just for 48 good hours. Listen, there's a movement coming for black women to just take a day off in September and I'm here for it. Please let me know about that. Okay. Just a day it's on my stories because, I love it. Okay. Yes. <laughs> because yes. we need to stop sometime. We really, really do. Like if we're, yeah. And so then the boundaries is about getting really clear about what you are unwilling to compromise on, what is required for people to be in your space in loving, right relationship with you. And if they cannot adhere to that, then they are welcome to go somewhere else to find mm-hmm. their needs to be met. And that you can hold the pain and the grief that may come with that, with self-compassion. Yes. Like, yes. I really wanted you, but this ain't mm-hmm. going to be a good, healthy thing for us. It's not. And I, I think that is so essential for 
the collective healing for Black mm-hmm. folks. I think so much of our intergenerational uh, inheritance has been we have to survive together regardless of how the together feels, yeah. no matter how much toxicity or harm has been done internally, we have to bolster against the external. And I think we cannot we cannot evolve. We cannot even think about liberation until we start naming those harms, repairing them when possible, and leaving those relationships when those um, reparations are not possible. And I think our Black feminist foremothers were excellent at naming it, but they didn't have the interventions, which I think is where, as you named very early on, as a counseling psychologist, as somebody who is trained to intervene, you come in with this soft life or with the work you do in the media Mm -hmm. and on social media and say, this is what you can try. Mm -hmm. See how it feels to you. See how it feels to y'all. feels to you. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. This is what I always say. Like, you know, I love, I mean, we we know there are like black brilliance across all these different disciplines, social in, in politics and sociology and literature and economics, all these things. But us psychologists know how to take all of that and translate it into a lived human experience yes. like to help walk with you through all of these things, help help you figure out um, what is an alignment for you in this life and what isn't. And then grieve, mm. move through, celebrate, challenge, practice, <laughs> fail, practice again. It's the practice and the failing, but for me. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I that yeah, I, I always say like, oh, psychologists, we're so devalued in this world. Mm-hmm. Like y'all don't even know what well, we can do. We do. <laughs> y'all we, don't even know. And we things. don't. A lot of the frameworks that we were trained in didn't give us room to really showcase what we can do. Mm-hmm. So I get, you know, departing from academia is like here is one frame, but yeah. there's a whole world outside of here where I can do the things that I know I'm capable of doing, bringing your knowledge before you became a psychologist into your work and training as a psychologist. And like, oh, this is how I touch down Mm -hmm. and intervene. This is how I change the game. Yes. Y'all go sit up in here with me and learn how to pursue your pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to learn with you. (laughs) And I'm going to learn with you. I mean, 100%, right? Like it is much of a journey for myself, um, like I, I, I will tell my clients quite honestly, like sometimes I'm a half step ahead of y'all. Sometimes I'm two steps ahead of y'all. Some days I'm right there in it with you. Like we, you are me and I am you. Like, and this is doing me talking this to together. me as I'm talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> and literally, like literally I could be in sessions sometimes saying, now girl, or sometimes it's either now girl, you you don't go sit up here and tell this this person to do blah blah blah, and you know you're not doing what you're supposed to do for yourself. Or it's like that's right, I do know this thing. Oh, I have been practicing this. This is how I know mm-hmm. this thing I'm asking you to consider will work for you because I know that I'm doing it now. I love that part. Yeah, I got love one more question part. for you. Okay, what do you love most about you? Oh, well, that's a hard one. Um, what makes it hard? I don't know that I've ever sat sat and like thought about that question, or maybe I haven't revisited it in a long time. I want to say I love my, I, I, I don't know if it's dichotomy or duality, mm. 
I I love that I have equal access to be super cerebral and um, scholarly and inquisitive um, and really get hyper-focused on answering a question or just exploring something as I can be silly, frivolous, goofy, <laughs> purely joyful. It's the fluidity. Um, <laughs> it's the fluidity for me. Um, I love that about myself. And and um not everybody can rock with it. Yeah. And I love, I love that that's true. I love mm-hmm. that I'm not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't say that in like a not for everybody. Mm. I'm not for everybody. Um, and I don't say that in like a like a arrogant sort of way, but I just mean like either you can rock with like I could flip it on you in a second, or you can't. Either you can go like, oh yeah, it was really not that serious to oh, but let's seriously look at this part <laughs> or you can't. And, mm-hmm. and I really do love that about myself. Mm. Is there anything I didn't get a chance to ask you that you think you want to use to capstone this conversation? Anything you want to share that you're doing or invite people to? Oh, I'm always doing something. Um, that's a, that, I, that's a, I'm gonna stop myself. That's a different direction in which my thoughts were going. To. Okay. Um, it can be all of it. Yeah. So, um, I think you asked, I think you asked me a version of this, but I'm just interested to have a little conversation with you about like, what does a world with love at the center look like? Mm. Like not just loving me, but like love at the center. Like what is your, because I think about this all the time. And I think this is part of my limitations as a Gen Xer, right? Like I do have a lot of forward thinking, but sometimes really thinking about a revolutionized world, a real, a world where people really are whole and healthy Mm -hmm. um, and how to make it fit in a a social structure is sometimes where I get stuck. And I, and I also know I don't need to have the full answer. Mm -hmm. Um, I I need to just have the imagination for it, but I'm, I'm does it feel hard to imagine it? Yes. In the sense of like, it's not hard for me to imagine what it could feel like. It's hard for me to imagine like what it would look like. Ah. And so it is a question that I um, would love to hear your answer to, because I would, I think about it. It's curiosity for me. I'm very curious to hear other people's lens on it to help me sort of color it. And also to like manifest it. Mm -hmm. Listen, I love a good radical imagining moment for me. It looks like, you talked about healthy and wellness. Like we have full access to health and wellness resources that everybody does. That mm-hmm. it's not contingent on what you can pay or who you are, what that looks like. And that providers love on you, not just treat you or try to fix you, that they see you. That it looks like education that invites curiosity, that invites critical thinking, that invites mm-hmm. you to challenge systems and dismantle them and then recreate them. Like it gives you the tools to create something. And it looks like pleasure, sexual, erotic power. And for people to not dehumanize the full spectrum of the human experience. Like we try to get people into such a limited idea of what human is, Mm -hmm. which is why I think about it in the context of this podcast. And I'm like, 
we get so mad at folks for wanting to have access to the full human experience. It's like, no, we got access to it as long as you're not doing it in ways that are harmful to yourself or others. And so it looks like joy, like people feel like joy should be a part of work, should be a part of relating. It shouldn't be just duty. It should be honor and, and reverence that we would care about the earth, that the earth wouldn't be pissed with us right now and flooding us out and being like, wow, and you really burning tried us me. up, burn us up. You know what I'm saying? Cause we did it first, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like animals, mm-hmm. our, our relationship with animals, our relationship with each other. Like, we wouldn't be able to look at somebody and kill them. We just, it wouldn't even be a, it wouldn't be a thought that you should annihilate someone that you should like exploit somebody's resources that you can mm-hmm. abandon a community. Like, so mm-hmm. we would just invest in equitably all of these places that we've left for dead mm-hmm. and recognize the things that grew, even though we left them for dead and celebrate those and champion them and learn the lessons of that. Like all of those pieces would be that world for me. Yeah. I love it. I think that that is really in alignment with how I see things as well. I, I mean, yeah, I love it. And I, I need to have these conversations mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be devoid of negative emotion because I think that's a part of the human experience, oh, absolutely. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You you, you cannot have, I mean, everything is light and dark. It's, yeah. But it's about the balance. It's about um, the balance. There's something so just dehumanized, dehumanized about our current existence that part of what needs to happen is just a humanization yes. of the experience. Like, And humans are both good and bad ugly and beautiful like we are a mixture of both mm-hmm. of those things. Oh, and how do thank we you. hold it you know yes thank you for that i appreciate i appreciate that i need to i need to have these conversations regularly um because no things problem. is looking real bleak on the outside these right days. like you oh. would just be able to do what you want to do with your womb like just those all of these pieces wouldn't even they would be non-starters like it's a part of my body. It like it's a part of my body. I get to decide what to do with it. It just is so. It's asinine to me. There were you know um, when Roe got overturned, um, and people were saying, "No, I'm pro-abortion," and I was like, "I don't even know if I'm pro-abortion. I'm pro-non-absurdity. Like I'm yes. pro-body autonomy." autonomy. <laughs> right? Just, what? Why is this even a conversation? Anyway. That is a tangent. So, yes. so things that I would like to leave people with and just know. So my work is always going to be centered around um, celebrating Black women and encouraging Black women to live pleasure-centered lives. And sometimes that looks like me engaging with organizations around Black mental wellness or um, dismantling anti-Blackness in the workplace, psychological safety, um, unconscious bias. It sort of looks like that sometimes, racial healing circles. And then a lot of it also looks like um, a, a group coaching uh, program that I'm launching called Pleasure Pursuers, yes. which is focused on helping women identify their internal narratives around their access to pleasure and their right to pleasure and how to re-script those narratives so that they can live lives that are uh, have core, at the core joy and pleasure. And then this soft life retreat that I'm going to host for the first time in October. Um, it are looks you co-hosting like it or is it solo? I'm going to do it by myself because mm-hmm. part of what I have to Part of what um, by loving myself looks like is trusting in myself. Yes, I've done yes. a lot of partnering with people um, 
for for external validation. Um, and so like owning this this idea that if it came to me and the idea is mine, then that's good enough. Yes. Um, and I can be responsive to feedback from participants and I can be responsive to my own feedback to myself through the experience, but I'm going to do it for myself mm-hmm. for now. Um, and I also do individual coaching with black women um, as well. That's just sort of around life career stuff. And then some stuff that's specifically around sexual pleasure, sex, self-confidence. Um, and yeah, you can find me on all social media platforms, but I'm most active on Instagram at Dr. Nikki Knows. That's D-R-N-I-K-K-I-K-N-O-W-S. And then on TikTok at Dr. Nikki Sex Therapist, D-R-N-I-K-K-I-S-E-X-T-H-E-R-A-P-I-S-T. Um, and um, my website is drnikkiknows.com. And yeah, th- I... I am so committed Mm. to being able to engage the lives of so many black women as possible to show them that they are seen, loved and valued just as they are. And to give them um, uh, affirmation in being able to own that for themselves without shame, without question, without judgment. So whatever version of that, that, evolves in my um, creativity and my expansion of myself is what my work is and will be. And that's how to love a human. (laughs) 